Domestic or intimate partner violence is a complex and silent epidemic that affects millions of people worldwide. To respond to the overwhelming issues associated with domestic violence, Randy's House of Angels has produced a series of podcasts beginning in October that will bring this epidemic to the forefront of public consciousness and break the silence that often shrouds it. By creating a dedicated platform, Randy's House of Angels hopes to create a safe space for survivors, advocates, and experts to share their stories, insights, and knowledge. A series of topics will be discussed that can offer vital support and resources to victims and survivors, helping them realize that they are not alone and that there is help available. It can also serve as a catalyst for raising awareness and fostering necessary conversations within families, communities, and institutions to empower individuals, foster empathy, and inspire collective action toward eradicating domestic violence while creating a safer, more compassionate society. I'm Paul Miller, the producer of this program, and we invite you to access the podcasts by going to randyshouseofangels.org. On the premiere edition of Randy's House of Angels podcast, we would like to introduce you to Nancy J. Chavez, founder and current executive director of Randy's House of Angels. We will hear how Nancy survived many years of abuse from her husband and the tragic murder of her daughter, Randy Trimble. Nancy will talk of her resilience in experiencing trauma over the years. Also, how she took the tragedy of her daughter's murder and created a nonprofit to help children victimized by domestic violence. She will share what it was like being a victim of domestic violence in the 70s when resources were limited, how she endured ongoing abuse, the impact of abuse on her mental health, and how she finally escaped her abuser. She will share the horrific murder of her only child, how her daughter's husband planned the murder of her daughter for seven months, the experience of working with law enforcement to find the murderer and convicting two men serving life without parole in the state prison system. We will talk about how Nancy took a tragedy and turned it around into something positive for children. We will talk about why Nancy started her nonprofit, Randy's House of Angels, and the commitment to help children to stop the cycle of domestic violence. We will discuss her experience in co-authoring a book, Stabbed in the Heart, Three Murdered Children, Two Resilient Mothers. Through the power of their stories, readers understand the impact of crime, the stages of grief, the struggle they've endured on their unique journeys, and the importance of family and friends. We will discuss how Randy's House of Angels has engaged over the last few years to educate clinicians, caseworkers, advocates, shelter staff, and other practitioners who have had direct contact with children about the victimization of domestic violence. More importantly, the current goal in producing this series of podcasts will take this one step further in reaching, in addition to the above, parents, guardians, victims, survivors, and the community at large. The podcasts include a series of topics about intimate partner violence, healthy versus unhealthy relationships, resources for victims, and hearing stories from a number of victims and survivors. We welcome you to the premiere edition of the Randy's House of Angels podcast. Today's podcast facilitator is Sherry Peters, a master's level social worker who is a nationally recognized facilitator in the children's mental health field. 
Formerly the director of the Psychiatric Residential Treatment Facility Waiver Initiative at Georgetown University's National Technical Assistance Center for Children's Mental Health, Ms. Peters also spent 21 years in the Pennsylvania State Office of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, working on children's mental health policy and program development after working as a therapist in residential and community settings. Today we're going to be talking with Nancy about her, her experiences, and about how she created Randy's House of Angels and what she continues to do. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. This is great to have you here for this first podcast that uh, we're creating. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, Nancy. Well, I always present myself as a victim of domestic violence and a survivor, and a lot of individuals ask me why. Um, Many years when I was married, I went through years of abuse, finally left that marriage, and then, of course, my daughter was murdered in 2003, so I'm surviving her loss. Obviously, that has something to do with how Randy's House of Angels came to be. Before we talk more about that, can you talk a little bit about how you came to be a survivor, especially what help did you receive? Well, I was being victimized by my ex-husband for seven and a half years, and I always say that my safety plan, uh, which I'm going to show my ignorance at the time. There weren't shelters. The words domestic violence wasn't part of my vocabulary. Um, I really did not understand it until years later. But recognizing that I was an actual victim, I didn't use the word victim. A lot of victims don't want to be labeled that. But it was not till later in my life that I realized that, yes, I got out of this marriage. I took the step finally to leave my abuser and to take my daughter with me. But I also had to recognize that once I got that divorce, that piece of paper saying that I was divorced did not stop the abuse. The mental and verbal abuse continued for many years. And I really thought it was going to be better uh, for me personally and, and moving on to a different life but it didn't, and so I had to continue to deal with my abuser. In my 30s, I started to hear terms like domestic violence, and please know that those terms were out there. I just didn't want to, for individuals to look at me and point their finger and say, oh, you're a victim. But when I was victimized, no shelters. The only place I had to go was my family and or the police. And I knew that if I went to the police, um, I knew the consequences. I knew that if I talked about how my husband was abusing me and what was happening behind closed doors in my home, that I would pay the consequences of that. So it was as if that, you know, when you're told day after day that, you know, I'll kill you if you leave, you will never see our daughter, Randy. You know, I really felt that I had no choice but to stay there. And then as I got older, because I was young, you know, I was 19 when I got married, and then finally after I left him, I was 25. But in those years, which are very critical, 
I was so busy trying to please my ex-husband being the perfect wife. And of course, the obligation to be a great mother to our daughter, but also the pressure of that coming from my abuser saying, this is your role. You are my wife. You are you. This is what you do in this house. You're to iron my my clothes. You're supposed to wash my clothes. You're supposed to you know, look after our daughter, mow the lawn, do everything that I should do as a wife. And I think the toughest thing for me was that my family, my culture, I'm Mexican-American, so your culture has a lot to do with how you look at life. So I knew that my mother and fa- father raised me to be very independent And especially my mother taught me how to take care of a household. And I did. My abuser knew that. So when he, I left, I left my home. He had convinced me that he loved me, that I was his princess, that I was everything. And I ran away and married this man. But I never knew that once he got me away from my family, that the power, his power was so over. It was just, take, it took over my mind that I wasn't who I wanted to be um, other than being a good wife and the best mom. It's really sad because I didn't know who I was. So, of course, my self-esteem was very minimal. I didn't know who Nancy was. All I knew was that I had to constantly please this person that was constantly abusing me or else. So, Nancy, how did you eventually become a survivor? How did you get the help that you needed? Even after you left, you said that the abuse continued. Yet, somehow, when I look at you now, um, you are absolutely strong and doing such great things. So, how did you get there? Very slowly. Okay. I had to look at setting goals for myself, but ultimately seeing my daughter as what drove me, knowing that this young person, she was not even five years old when I left her father, and I knew that every action that I took previously, of course, the day she was born, to the time I left, was going to form her, her character, her personality. And so I did it very slowly. I wasn't allowed to work, and if I, if I did work, it had to be part-time. There were so many different requirements on trying to get to know me and what I was capable of. You know, it's the power of control is making sure that you always know the role in the family unit, being, you know, cooking meals every day and doing the laundry and everything, but to be able to say that I wanted to go to college or go back to college because I I left. I was in college and I left when I married him. And um, that, there were stipulations there. You can go to college if you become a nurse. And I didn't want to be a nurse then. But he, in his mind, he wanted me to be a nurse because he told me nurses are real sexy. I think that, you know, not, not about having a career, but in his mind it was so warped. But I also think that what I did was setting goals. I thought, wow, here I am at 25 years old. Um, I found a job um, with state government. Uh, Someone gave me that opportunity, and I decided I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go back to college, which I did, and empowered me to say that, wow, 
I'm not so stupid as he told me that I was, or I was capable of other things. And I actually did that. I kept myself focused. And I always tell the story of how many times I would turn my head and say that I was going to leave him, and how many times I I could hear him saying, I'm sorry, I'll never hit you again. And I would turn my head. But this time, somewhere I read in a magazine about the horses in Charleston, and they have the blinders on that keeps them moving forward. And I said, that's what I have to do, because if I turn my head, I'll go back. And he'll play on that, you need me, you can't survive without me, I'm the breadwinner, everything you could think of. And I did that. And that moving forward meant going back to college, having a full-time job, having part-time job. And I was living with my sister. My family supported me when I actually left him. Um, but being able to move in my own apartment, buying my own car, being able to buy curtains for <laughs> my apartment, which was sounds kind of bizarre, but I didn't know. I didn't know what I liked. It was always about pleasing him. And so it was a challenge uh, financially for me, but again, in the back of my mind, I would hear, you can't survive without me, because I'm the breadwinner. I had no decision-making in any of our finances, being able to buy our home, cars. It was, that economic abuse was there overpowering me, but I knew that I couldn't hold on to that because I had to look at myself and also look at my daughter. So I left, and so I went to school at night for 15 years. Wow. wow. And I went to a community college, and then I went to Penn State, got my undergraduate degree. Then I went on and got my master's, and I set my goals for what I needed to do. Yes, when I was 40, I completed my education, but there were other factors too. I had to look at how can I afford paying for my college education while I worked, not receiving a large salary, but being able to pay for my education. So I took one or two courses a semester, and that's what took so long. But I'm so proud to say that what it taught me was perseverance. Absolutely. Perseverance. And I love the image of the blinders so that you could keep moving forward in the way that you needed to move forward. Let's move on to uh, tell us a little bit about Randy. Uh, She was my life. I can remember when she was born in uh, Portsmouth Navy Hospital. My ex-husband was in the Navy. And I was by myself. It was very, very lonely that day, that Sunday. A lot of people, you know, they go away on the weekends at Corman's. But when she was born, I really was so elated because I thought, this baby is going to be my savior. It's going to make a difference in her father that he will stop the abuse and there will be no more. And I prayed that she was my angel. But it didn't happen. That didn't stop the abuse. He used her against me. He would always tell me that all the love that I gave Randy, because I was with her all day long, and she was so important to me. And like my mother, I taught her things. But I just knew that she would reciprocate that. But he would always tell me, she's going to hate you one day for smothering her with all this so-called love. Um, I never believed that, and of course I didn't. Randy was very fortunate to be involved in the same type of activities in the community as I was as a child, 4-H. She was in the Brownies and the Girl Scouts, and I played an instrument in school, in grade school. She also was very interested, so 
Um, she played the flute and the piccolo. She loved it, but she was much better. She was way better. Um, her education was very important to me, um, and I, you know, I always told her education is power, and just learn, learn, learn. But of course, I would always read to her. We did as I studied. She was across the table studying too, so that we mentored each other. She was a good person, good person. I was so proud of her. Um, in high school, you know, because of her love for music. She uh, it just took me back. She decided to take on a leadership role and try out for the drum major. And I couldn't believe it because she was pretty conservative in her way. But when she did that, she showed me something that I just cherished as being a mother. That, you know, you got to let your children spread their wings and there's timing. And she did that. And she became the drum major at Trinity High School here in Cumberland County. And then, of course, she went on to college, and she was a drum major there. I was a tough mom, tough of saying that I didn't want anyone getting in her way of her goals. Um, very protective, but in the same respect, she was extremely protective of me. It was just she and I. Uh, college was a challenge. It was a challenge for me as much as her. You know, parents have the toughest time letting go. And I always put it into perspective to say when she went from kindergarten to first grade, I had to let her go. She was growing up from middle school you know, to high school, letting go. And then when she went to college, it, it, I spent many nights crying because <laughs> I missed her so. But she did that, and she did well in college. Uh, she studied to be a speech pathologist, um, and she even got a full scholarship at Bloomsburg University uh, for her uh, commitment to her education, and her goal was to be a speech therapist at Hershey Medical Center, and um, she did that. She really she met that goal, and I was really really proud of her. Yeah, I was I was going to say you must have been very proud of her. Go to randyshouseofangels.org to learn more about programs offered to children who are victims of or exposed to domestic violence. Programs are offered at no cost to parents and guardians in six central PA counties, including Cumberland, Perry, York, Dauphin, Lebanon, and Adams. Contact Nancy Chavez at 717-503-4498 or email randyshouseofangels at gmail.com for more information. So tell us what happened to Randy. Um, you probably can hear the vo- my voice shaking. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. I have post-traumatic stress disorder, so you know, as much as I get ready for something like this, it hits me. But I'm okay. I'm okay. I I know. As I mentioned, Randy went to college, but during the summer, she worked two or three jobs, and I was always giving her advice of what she needed to do to really build her career. And in this case, I wanted her to have exposure to children, and she applied at the New Cumberland Army Depot, and she worked in the daycare center. And at the same time she was applying, there was this young man that was applying also, Um, He also was applying for the same daycare center. 
So they got to know each other, and they worked together over the summer. Um, now, keep in mind, uh, Randy cherished her friends. They, that's who she would hang out with, her girlfriends and I call them boyfriends, but they're all friends. They just did a lot of good things together. But to have a boyfriend, it wasn't at the top of the, of the schedule for her. Um, but yes, you know, she wanted to go out on a date. And so the relationship built between this man, his name was Brian, um, plus working with each other. And Brian then became part of our family. You know, I got to see him more. He also invited me to be part of his family. And the inclusion was important, so I knew he was a good guy. And Randy grew to love him. He asked for Randy's hand in marriage, um, I would say, about two and a half years into the relationship. They dated each other for five years, engaged for almost three years. And I knew that Randy loved him, and I said yes. But I had criteria. Don't mess with her education, or her, <laughs> and you will have a great life. And he knew that. He just knew that about me. But I think that the happiest time is watching Randy get ready for her wedding, you know, going and getting her wedding gown and planning for her wedding and making the centerpieces. And just, it, it was just so, it's such a great time in our lives, in her lives too. So she was, um, her plan for her marriage was September 9th, year 2000. So year 2000, so much was going on, you know. Everybody was in a tizzy about year 2000, but she was just, just elated. The wedding was beautiful. Everyone was happy. Randy was, you know, my princess. And she decided before she got married, a few weeks before she got married, that she wanted to buy a house. And I'm, I go, okay, what? Like, where'd this come up? Well, Randy was very much on a budget. That's what I taught her. So she knew what she could afford. So she bought a house. <laughs> and it, the house was two blocks from where I live or where we lived. And I tried to tell her, like, move, go, spread your wings. You guys get married and enjoy. She goes, nope. Mom, you're my best friend. And I want to be near you. And I always want to protect you. So. I was just elated when she said that. So she had her house. She had a beautiful marriage, and they moved into their house, her and Brian. Uh, Randy was doing well on her career. She got into Hershey Medical Center. Brian was working. Um, he finally landed a job at Blue Cross in year 2002, and I decided I wanted to really push the empty nest, and I went on, like, three different trips but every trip I had access to calling her because we would call each other every day, like twice a day. Brian, he was doing okay. Uh, I will tell you that before they got married, he found out he had MS. So we were very nurturing with him and his health, and uh, you know, I, was, I knew that Randy was too. But what I didn't know uh, was what he was doing during that year. And I will point out one thing. In April, when they were trying to get pregnant, he comes home and says that he wants to be take part of filming this off-take of the Blair Witch Project. Uh, a friend from work wants to make this movie, and he wants to produce it. So Brian becomes very involved, and he's going to be the video photographer. And that causes some, a lot of discussion with Randy and Brian and I. But we went on throughout the year. We went on our vacations as we normally did, Randy and I and Brian going to the beach, Randy and Brian planning for a 
cruise in May of 2003. I had planned for a cruise in January of 2002, gave a full year to everybody, said, this is my first cruise, I'm going on my birthday. You know, I really, really rubbed it in all the time. What I didn't know, that those were um, the times that Brian uh, felt um, he was taken advantage of the same time as in April when Brian was supposed to be working on this production and Randy was trying to get pregnant. He was planning to find a way to kill her. And I didn't know this till later. So that when I was away in January of 2003, he had it planned. So it's very sad um, to even think about this. It seems uh, just bizarre to this day. I went on the cruise, said goodbye to Randy, and then I couldn't wait to get home to tell her about my cruise. And, and we were just so close. It was, you know, everything we shared. And when I, I can remember um, coming home and uh, being taken to the meditation room at BWI, opened the door and seeing my mother and my one sister and my brother-in-law and them telling me that something bad had happened to Randy, that she was dead. I, I don't even remember walking out of BWI, but uh, that was the beginning of my nightmare. I found out that someone had murdered Randy in her home. Didn't know who. I went through several, several weeks of being questioned by the police, law enforcement of all levels, with Brian burying my daughter, which was very difficult, and also being frightened. Brian had planned for seven months to kill her. He had hired his best friend from work. His best friend from work, which is the producer of this movie, wanted the thrill of killing someone. And he stabbed Randy 27 times and cut her throat in her home. When she entered into the dining room after leaving work from Hershey Medical Center and going to her second job, because she was working second jobs to um, save money for Brian when he got really sick. She didn't have a chance. This or to this day, she was my life. Um, she was everything. But I still have great memories of her, which is very important to me. And she was my only child. Yeah. And some of that pain led you to what you then created in her memory. Absolutely. I was so fortunate in my career with state government. I started as a clerk typist, and then I had people that believed in me, mm -hmm. that saw that I was a sharing person and a practitioner, and I was able to take my education and bring, you know, give back. And so I was given the opportunity to actually hold some high-level positions in state government. I worked my way up to being um, the chief of staff for the Department of General Services. I was a commissioner for the Department of State, and I held different director positions. And when this happened, and the loneliness that I actually experienced from Randy, um, it took me a while because I the trauma just stayed with me. I was in shock for quite a long time. I didn't realize that. And then one day I woke up and I said, what am I going to do the rest of my life? And so I knew that being a victim of domestic violence, 
I knew that there were wonderful shelters out there, wonderful resources for victims that I didn't have. And I said, I am going to do something positive. Um, I called a very good friend of mine when I was on the Cumberland County Commission for Women, and she was the director of the Domestic Violence Services of Cumberland Perry County. And I said, I'd like to do a fundraising event because funding is always an issue. And I created Randy's Race for Hope and Courage in 2005. The first year, I raised $14,000, which was unbelievable. Uh, my goal was, yes, the funds for domestic violence services, but to establish my credibility in the community, to be an advocate for domestic violence. And that has worked to my advantage, of course, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But more so, I, I, I did that. And I did that because I felt that we needed to have more visibility about domestic violence. Unfortunately, there's a lot of families that have lost their loved ones, like sons, daughters, you know, their aunts, their sisters. I needed to do something. So to this day, I had 19 years of Randy's race, and we've raised $590,000. That's that's amazing. Yes. Yes. The other thing that I did was to do some soul-searching. And I, it's sometimes that's really difficult to look at yourself from the outside in. And I had to understand what Randy was going through as a child in a house where her father would sit at the table and didn't like the meal and throw the food across the room. Or he would pick me up by my collar and throw me in the chair and slap me in front of her or push her into her bedroom thinking she did not hear the screams and didn't see you know, the distress, or know that when her father left, I would cry because I was relieved. And so I realized that my daughter Randy was also a victim of domestic violence. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a big step for me. So I decided that I'm going to do something for children. Children perpetuate the behavior they learn in their homes, and that's what Randy did. Randy and I protected her father for many, many years. And she and I never spoke about it. But then as she got older, she said it was wrong. She realized that. But as a child, she's not talking about it. So we both protected him. Children are doing that today. So I created Randy's House of Angels. Our mission is to provide therapeutic programs to children that are exposed and victims of domestic violence. I'm so proud that I did that and came up with that concept because I know that children need to have a voice, not diminishing as an adult being a victim, but knowing that children need to be heard. So over the years, with the help of a wonderful board, mentors, individuals from the different DV agencies and others have helped me build curriculums for our programs And more importantly, I did not want to cause any competition with domestic violence shelters and crime agencies, but to enhance what they're doing and to help the children. I've developed a lot of partnerships and recognize a lot of important people in the domestic violence world, and I appreciate that. So now I'm an extension of that. Um, We continue to have programs every year. We have a camp. I just had a camp. We had 12 children that are, wanted to stay overnight. 
we it's not during the night, by the way, not overnight. They want to stay overnight. They want to come back, and we'll see them next year. That's great. And you also do things like after-school programs and all kinds of things to help the children. How, how many children have you been able to serve through the years, Nancy? Well, we actually implemented our programs in 2011, so it's been very slow. But I want to highlight this. You know, it's one thing to have programs for children. It's another thing to get the parents to make the commitment mm, yeah, to yeah. stop the cycle of domestic yeah, violence. Yeah. And once the parents make that commitment to bring their child to our programs, then it will con- it will increase, and it is increasing. And I'll tell you why. Um, we have helped over close to 250 children through our programs. But again, it's maybe you call it a, you know a myth. It's individuals that are victims don't want to think it's happening to your children until they begin to act out. So I say to parents, please take a minute to listen to them, and please take a minute to know there are programs like Randy's House of Angels that offer programs at no cost. Our our board members are adamant about why would we put the burden of having to pay for therapy for a child when you are, as a victim, struggling just to survive. So we provide our programs at no cost. We hold major fundraisers like Randy's Race. We have a golf outing every year. We get donations that enable us to provide that at no cost. All I ask is, parent, please. And even grandparents. Grandparents are raising their children, their grandchildren. Just know that we are definitely committed. You make the commitment to bring the child. And I understand that the children love coming. Mm-hmm. And you gave an example of them wanting to stay overnight because they were having such a really important time. Um, and I think others have given you feedback through the years. And I think some of the young people have come back to even volunteer later on after they've gone through some of Randy's programs. Is that right? Absolutely. What we try to do is not forget about what we see as a graduation for kids to go through our programs because we do have a program ages 8 to 13 and then a program for 5 to 7. And so after 13, where do we, what do we do? Where do they go? Because they've enjoyed having that mentoring and that positive environment. So we created a team group for these teens to actually um, take part on. Then we invite them to come back as junior counselors to the camp. Yeah, that's great. And to be mentors. And we have one young lady, I just love her dearly, that came into the camp. I remember meeting her. Her hands were crossed. She turned her head down. She wouldn't even respond to anything at the camp. And each year she grew, and now she's one of our volunteers. Yeah, that's great. And a great spokesperson to other children. Great. I think our time is coming to a close, Nancy. You, you've just been uh, so wonderful in, ter- in, in terms of sharing your story. And I wonder if you can say just two sentences about the book that you wrote. One of the things about, you know, going through trauma, whether as a victim of domestic violence or a survivor of my daughter's murder, was that I can only tell the story. I don't expect people to walk in my shoes. And so 
Um, I'll share with you, since my, the minute my daughter was born, I kept a journal. To this day, I have a journal. She'd be 48 years old. And that was my promise to her when she was born. And so I thought, you know, maybe one day I will tell the story. But at the same time, I met a lot of survivors. I met Lynn Shiner um, through working with the Commission on Crime and Delinquency. I knew that she was a survivor. She lost her children on Christmas Day in 1993. And I went to her and I said, it's time for us to talk about the positive part of what we have done with our lives, taking something so tragic into something so positive. So we wrote a book together, and we did talk about, it's difficult not to talk about the worst times in our lives of, of losing our children. Of course. No parent wants to lose their children, but also what did we do with this? Yeah. And so that was our objective. Yes, it, we talk about resilience in our book. And I think it's important to individuals to see that stabbed in the heart sounds pretty tragic, but it's about the resilience of two women. I'm so proud to have done that. And we have the book, the link to the way to buy the book uh, on the website of Randy's House of Angels and attached to the podcast. So we encourage people to uh, get a copy of that book and uh, really look for the resilience. We're going to have to close today. I want to thank you so much, Nancy, for participating in today's podcast. And I encourage our listeners to stay tuned for nine more podcasts at least. And... Next time, we'll be exploring healthy relationships and how to know if you're in a healthy relationship. Randy's House of Angels is sponsoring a series of podcasts that will serve as a resource to anyone impacted by domestic violence, including parents, guardians, caseworkers, health providers, advocates, teachers, trauma specialists, clinicians, and more to provide an overview of domestic violence and how to handle situations where domestic violence is present. This is a series of 10 podcasts that will include an overview in healthy relationships, the different types of abuse, supporting someone who is engaged in an unhealthy relationship, and criminal justice resources available to victims. It will also include testimony and stories from courageous survivors who are victims of domestic violence. The podcast will be released starting in October of 2023 and run through February of 2024. If you miss a podcast, it will be made available on demand on Randy's House of Angels website at randyshouseofangels.org. After you've listened to our podcast, we would love to hear from you. Your feedback is crucial for the future of our podcast programs. There is a survey available on our website at randyshouseofangels.org. You can also reference the resources that support the podcast on the website, again, at randyshouseofangels.org. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.